0: Welcome to Life Death Law. I'm Liza Hanks. Please join me in this podcast as we explore estate planning. Birth, old age, sickness, and death are part of every human life, yet most of us avoid talking about it or planning for it. Death is like sex, really. We all do it. Most of us are embarrassed to talk about it, and most of us have questions we're afraid to ask. Fear no more. I'm here to answer your questions without judgment. Life Death Law brings you real life stories interviews with experts, and practical tips to answer your questions about all of it, from birth to death and everything in between. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of Life, Death, Law. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Emily Bouchard. Emily is a family dynamics and money coach and the managing partner at Wealth Legacy Group in San Francisco. She's also the author of The Beginner's Guide to Purposeful Prenups, available now as an ebook and soon to be published as a real book, too. Emily specializes in helping people communicate effectively about money. And I asked her to be on my podcast because I find that so often talking about money and the difficult issues that surround it are real barriers to estate planning for a lot of people. Hey, Emily, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm going to set the stage. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting in a room with people and we're doing an estate plan and we get to the part about who owns what and a really uncomfortable silence falls across the room. Because it may be the first time that these people have had to address the issue of who owns what in their relationship and it can get difficult fast. So sometimes I joke that the divorce lawyer is upstairs, but I'm the estate planner uh, just to kind of break the ice. I think you might have something helpful to say to those people. And how would you start?
1: Oh, I love that you, you're approaching it from that standpoint right off the bat, Liza. This is great. Uh, you know, one of the things that I say for in terms of couples like that is when you're in a marriage and you haven't really had these conversations up front and then you're confronted with them, you you kind of get to find out what you're really standing on. And I'm all about how do you create the firmest foundation you can at the very beginning of your relationship and as you go into your marriage. And that's why we wrote The Beginner's Guide to Purposeful Prenups to help couples have those really important conversations about who's going to own what and what does owning look like and what what's ours, what's mine, what's yours, why is that that case, what is it we want to create together, and people think of it as like this like, uh, wet blanket or uh, wh- why would you do this? Don't you trust me? Why are we planning for divorce? And I think you appreciate this the most, that you know, when you enter into a marriage, you're entering into the most like, meaningful contract of your life, and there's a huge financial component to that. And there's all of these unspoken expectations about what this actually means. And we already have a prenup. We already have something legally on the books in our state that determines what what the state thinks should happen and who should own what,
0: right? Right. I have to stop you right there because when I read purposeful prenups, I really thought it was fascinating that you said only 5% of marriages in this country have a prenup when there's a divorce and also that all marriages end, right? So that we're always talking about how a marriage ends, whether it's by death or divorce, just by entering into the contract. And- I think a lot of my clients just feel like if they can avoid this, then they're better off. And I have to tell them that if they don't sort out the issue of community and separate property now, it could be a real issue when one of them or both of them die, right? So there's this sense of like, if we just avoid it, it will go away, right? And I think yeah. what you just said was really right, which is if you avoid it, it's just like estate planning. If you don't make your own plans, the state has plans for you.
1: That's so well said. And I think that that's a really big misconception, right? That, oh, a prenup is about divorce. It's not. It's about death, divorce, disability, disinterest. You know, it's (laughs) really about how do we both enter into this union and commitment with the future in mind? Because everything about entering into a marriage is wanting to spend the rest of your life and your future with this person. Well, what does that look like in terms of our shared ownership and our shared resources and when one of us isn't here to share that anymore by one of those reasons what do we do and it's all about who are you who who am I marrying what are your values around money what are mine what what is it you're hoping to have as a result of this marriage not just what's the financial gain but more like wait what are we building and growing together and if it's not handled well it can really create cracks in that foundation. And that's why people avoid it, Liza. It's not that they don't care about these topics. People really care about these topics. And nobody knows how to have the conversations well.
0: So, only how do people get started? So I'll give you an example. Let's say there's two people sitting in my room. Often when they come to me, they're not gonna do a prenup because they've been married for a while, right? Maybe 15 or 20 years, but now they're coming to do an estate plan. So they maybe are gonna do a post-nuptial agreement but they don't have anything written down and they don't know how to get started because it feels like a referendum on their marriage, or it Mm -hmm. feels like one of them is being greedy. That's what I often hear the resistance to actually addressing this in paper.
1: Yeah. Isn't it great. I love that you're bringing that forward. We have so many resistances. We have fear, anxiety. We have, yeah, I don't want to be judged for this. Um, And then uh, the criticism that can come back at us and the other thing that happens is because it's so emotionally charged, there's a sense of, um, I don't want to go there. And we use the, um, analogy of electric fences, you know, like people who have dogs and you, you have this invisible fence, but if you get too close to it, you get zapped if you have the collar on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we've been trained in our lives not to go to these emotionally loaded topics like money and future and divorce and death. And, uh, and it's, and I'm not being flippant about it. It's we don't go there. We avoid those conversations. So the way I get people started is to begin to open up how to have meaningful conversations in ways that further and strengthen your relationship. And so we talk about it in terms of, you know, all kinds of things related to your history and your Um, Your money stories and where you developed your values and your interpretation about money and why you approach it the way you do to just begin to have really open dialogue about it. But there has to be a safe container of no judgment or criticism around that, where all of us have adaptive strategies around it. What's yours? You know, that kind of curiosity that makes such a difference. And so you really get that foundation together.
0: And where would you uh, suggest people do that in a lawyer's office (laughs) in their home before they meet with an attorney, you know, with a counselor like you? like Yeah, well, okay.
1: So it depends if they've been married for 19 years and they've never had this conversation and there's that awkward silence and you get the sense of Ooh, there's a lot to unpack here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you know my <laughs> clients? Went,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've worked with a lot of people who in, they get hit, you know, they go two years without signing their estate planning documents. It's like, Ooh, it's not the legal
0: issue here. It's almost never the legal issue for any of it.
1: Yeah. Right? It's, so I do not recommend doing it in the lawyer's office. I love it that you're an attorney who understands this and can bring this up to your clients. And, uh, attorneys will refer people to me or, you know, to a therapist that understands this. I wouldn't, I would really vet the professional that you go to for support because one of the issues that we found in our, my training as a therapist, my um, business partner's a PhD in psychology is there's not a lot of training in those schools for talking about money. And that's why we are both so passionate about this coaching practice we have to really support people in having these conversations. And so we don't do therapy. We bring a coaching model to it, but it was in response to how uh, challenged the therapeutic profession is in having conversations about money.
0: Okay. That's that's really helpful. Um, I wondered if we could shift gears a little bit because there was something that you talked about in an article that you sent me about the eight types of people Uh, around money, the eight kind of money archetypes. And I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit because I think one of the things that I see with clients is they just have no clarity at all on what the issue even is, right? They just know they hate it and they don't know why.
1: They don't know the the unconscious drivers behind it, yeah. So these are Jungian-based archetypes and there's eight common ones. And here's the thing that's so cool about this approach. Everyone has all eight of these. It's not like you're being, this is your personality type and this is who you are. It's not like that at all. It's think about like your life is this incredible Broadway show and you've got these eight actors on your stage at any particular time and you are the director and the playwright. What happens is people get overly identified as being one of those characters on the stage. And that can cause a lot of mischief. And so what's great about understanding these money types, and there's a really simple assessment to find out which one you are and what they all are, in terms of which is the one that by the time I was age seven, it was the most predominantly formed adaptive strategy for being safe in the world. (laughs) And it happens before we're even verbal. We pick up on cues in our environment and we decide what we need to do to be safe. And by the time we're seven, our predominant ones are pretty much established. And I, in the book, I talk about mine because I want people to understand this a little bit. And um, I talk about when I was about four years old, my dad took me to um, Baskin and Robbins and I, I got up the courage. I remember getting up the courage to ask him for a clown
0: cone. I've been (laughs) thinking about this story every time I go to an ice cream store all summer (laughs) long. I'm not kidding.
1: It's the best story because it really illustrates it. So I don't, if, you're, if your listeners aren't aware, Baskin and Robbins used to have right in the ice cream, in the, um, you know, the right there at the counter, in the ice freezer box, these clowns, like upside down cones, and you'd buy one, they'd hand it to you, and you could eat the frosting off of it. Now they have them in a different section and they're, they're di- built differently now. When I was a kid, my dad got me this cone, we went outside, we're in the streets of New York City, And I took one lick, and the ball of ice cream fell off onto the pavement. And I looked at it, and I knew I couldn't cry, and I knew that I couldn't ask for another one. I was four years old. I asked my – when I did this training on the money types, and I realized I had already developed a really strong martyr archetype. That was a martyr archetype at age four you know, be happy with what you're given. Don't ask for more, be, you know, as giving and and kind to other people as you can, and maybe you'll get your needs met, you know? And I asked my dad, I said, dad, why did it never occur to you to like go in there and storm in and say, Hey, I want my money back or she needs another cone. You didn't tamp it down hard enough. And he was like, I never would have occurred to me because he doesn't have a strong tyrant archetype. (laughs) which would have been like this is outrageous you know and it, it's it's each person would have a different response to that ice cream falling on the on the sidewalk but that's shaped it showed me how i was shaped in terms of my relationship for asking for what i wanted for how money gets looked at don't cry over spilled milk was a big message that i got you know right
0: so, so oh sorry no i was just thinking that so the the i think that the larger point that i wanted to to bring out here is that there's value in kind of wading into these waters, right? That if you're in a relationship where you've been avoiding this for years and it comes up in the estate planning process, that instead of looking at it as a horrible impediment to getting your plan done, that maybe people could look at it as an opportunity to explore something that could be deeply meaningful for both them and their partner and their relationship, right?
1: right exactly I, it's interesting i was thinking about one client that was referred to us a wonderful couple been married for about 28 years and they hadn't they, they actually did go two years without signing their state planning documents and their advisors referred them to us they said you know maybe they could help sort out whatever is keeping this from happening and within four months of working with these money types they shifted yes yeah, 30 years They were together 30 years of resentments and hurts and misunderstandings
0: Mm -hmm.
1: by just understanding how their different money types were moving with each other they fell back in love they came up with a great strategy that took care of both of their concerns both of their values when they had a very strong conflict of interest because i'm sure you never see this like it's a blended family situation where he had two children from a prior marriage and she had two from their marriage and he wanted all four of his treat, children treated equally. And she wanted her two treated fairly.
0: Yeah. We have long that, conversations in my office about what fair means.
1: Right? <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of different ways that things can be fair, right? At different generational levels and in different ways. Right. So how did it's, they, what did they decide to do?
1: Oh, it was really powerful. They So they had a strong dynamic um, where his Um, His money type that was the most prominent was his tyrant, and her martyr was so feeling disempowered that the only way she had any power was not signing the documents. That's that passive-aggressive kind of behavior. And so we looked at how to bring his warrior forward to really empower her to not get um, offended or upset when she asked questions, but to want to develop her capacity to be more competent and confident in the area of money and their estate plan. And then she was able to come forward with my favorite archetype, which is the magician, which is the integrated one. And after we looked at their different values, where they were coming from, really got to the core issues and, and concerns, she came up with a whole beautiful strategy that was fair. For, they both agreed to it. She And then they, they came up with a way to have it be where the two that they had together got a sixth more of the um, overall percentage of the um, estate than the two that he had previously as a way to honor her contribution to the marriage that would have been her financial contribution if she hadn't raised the two children that he had. And it was so creative, it's completely outside the box. And then she um, was able to create a really wonderful um, chart that showed the whole thing and they got totally in alignment with who they were what they wanted their money and all their assets to do in the world and with their family their blended family and how it would make sense that would express their family values
0: okay so there's three things about that i really like and i wanted to ask you two more questions in this podcast interview that are related to that so the thing i like about that is that your clients empowered themselves to come up with a solution and they weren't relying on the expert Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's something important to me as an attorney that I'm creating a a process and we're ending up with documents. But ultimately, I think my clients know best. Right. And I think that story really illustrates that, you know, there, there wasn't some lawyer or some therapist telling them how to do it. They figured it out for themselves, right? Yeah,
1: you know, that's a really good point. In fact, he was a very successful attorney. Ugh. And when they first came to meet with me, he said, so this is going to be like a mediation arbitration, right? You're going to tell us how other people have done this before and we have to choose. And I looked at them and I said, no, nope. if you engage to work with me, it'll take about three months, maybe at the minimum, and we will discover what are the underlying core issues. And you all are going to come up with a strategy that none of us have ever thought, ever seen before.
0: Right. And they didn't. Right. And yep. I think that's the secret to creating plans. It'll actually work when they need to be <laughs> executed. So, so the two questions I'd like to, to finish off with. The first one is, um, advice for women, because I, having read your books, um, I know that you often seem to write for women, uh, who often, I think, do feel disempowered by this process. I get a lot of clients who come to me and they say, I didn't understand anything my former attorney told me. Um, I felt not listened to and I felt confused and condescended to, right? So I think that um, a lot of women feel that way about estate planning, and I think, and certainly about money. So one is, I'd like you to give some advice to women. And the second is, if you could give some advice to parents, a lot of people meet with me who are leaving significant property to their children. And they want that property to be kept separate. And they want their children to put together prenups to protect that property over time but they don't know how to talk about it with their kids and they never have so could you do that oh my
1: gosh how many how how much time do we have these are such (laughs) great questions i love it okay so Um, first of all, like your approach as an attorney Liza is really inspiring because of how mindful you are and also what you've seen. And it's like, wow, how do I even, um, further support my clients in this way? It's, it's really inspiring to get to work with you on this. Um, And I'm going to add something to the advice for women question, because along with a lot of women definitely feeling disempowered, not listened to, you know, condescended or to or like confused. The other side of that equation that I also want to bring forward is there's a lot of successful women out there that are also dealing with the issue of um, financial diversity in their relationships. Hmm. Some people call it fiscal unequals, but where they're bringing more financially to the relationship than the man or their partner. And how that also creates a very strange power and role difference um, and control um, in relationships. And so we address both of those really strongly in terms of um, allowing people to develop their own identities related to their money, their assets, their wealth, their relationship that really is in keeping in an alignment with what matters most to them and who they are in the world and not necessarily what societal roles dictate or what should it should look like in ways that really honor their partnerships. So I, I wanted to highlight both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the biggest thing is uh, The innocent archetype, the one that um, is kind of, the one we're naturally initially born into, you know, let's just trust the world completely and we'll be totally taken care of. Um, A lot of women fall, when you feel confused, overwhelmed, um, like you kind of glaze over during the financial conversations or you just want, want to just go run to the bathroom or crawl under the table, like that's the innocent feeling very overwhelmed and just wanting to be taken care of, Um, but then leaving very confused because the innocent doesn't let you listen. The warrior archetype lets you really listen and come forward with, well, what is it that you're saying? And how does that fit with this? And wait, that's confusing to me. I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is having the magician archetype really front and center allows you to trust your intuition. And we as women have a lot of good intuition when it comes to these things, but because we don't necessarily have it grounded in facts and numbers and arguments, and we tend to get, it gets pushed to the side. So, so, so
0: yeah, so, so what would you advise for a woman who wants to address this in a, in their relationship, but just doesn't know how to get started? Right,
1: right. Uh, I think the most important thing is for her to be really clear on for the sake of what, like, why is she wanting to address it? Mm -hmm. What's, what's mattering to her that has her wanting to do this? And if she comes forward with, I want to really create the strongest relationship and the strongest future and the greatest likelihood for success we can possibly have, it's worth it to me to enter into these really murky waters Mm -hmm. and I want to do it the right way. And if she has that like motivation behind it, Mm -hmm. then she brings it forward from that standpoint.
0: No, that's great. You know, I tell my clients, if you don't understand something a lawyer tells you, it's the lawyer's problem. Mm -hmm. Ask, keep asking until your questions get answered, because ultimately this is your estate plan. And if you don't understand what it says, then that reflects really badly on the professional who drafted it for you. So instead of internalizing, oh, I'm so dumb, I don't get it, it's my fault, to be more proactive and say I need to understand this, and I'm going to keep asking questions until I do, right? Sort of the same idea, isn't it?
1: I think so and I think it, you, you know when you are approaching anything whether it's financial planning or estate planning um, or anything that's that's un, unclear or something you're not familiar with there's an emotional component that tends to shut down our brains capacity to learn and to listen and to take in new information mm-hmm. and I often liken it to when you go to a new country and you don't speak the language um, there's different ways of moving with it. There can be a, wow, I really want to study this language, be prepared, have a way to, to move with it. Um, I want to know some key phrases so that I can learn it as I go. Or you can just go and kind of blindly like rely on your tour guide the whole time and not understand a single thing that's being said. So there's if you look at how you approach life, from that vantage point, and you look at it from, wow, estate planning has a whole... Vocabulary and way of thinking and approaching life that I don't usually think about from, and then it's that how do I learn about this and how do how do I be curious and here's the other thing: if you ask questions of your uh, advisors, your legal professionals, financial or legal, um, and they approach you in a way where you do feel condescended to or they use jargon that has you be confused, that's where you get to show up and say, hmm." The way that you're choosing to respond to me doesn't work for me, and I think you either need to choose a different approach, or we might need to choose somebody different to work with. And to empower people to be able to say that is one of the most important things you can do.
0: So, so what do you have? One piece of advice for my couple who can't get started? <laughs> I know I keep asking the same question, but uh, you know, I'd really like them to have a takeaway. You know, that they should. Right. How does the conversation
1: start? Right. I, you know, I always like speaking into that, which is the elephant in the room. Like, like, let's just name it. Right. (laughs) We are really challenged with having this conversation. Okay. Like, I don't know what came up for you, but even thinking about having this conversation, I wanted to throw up. How about you? Like, I really encourage people to speak that which is so, but not from the standpoint of, so let's start unpacking it. It's more like, um, I I use this analogy a lot. We use it in family meetings. Um, I use it when I'm working with couples and it's that of using a cooler. And you know, when we encounter situations in our lives, like we're in a a beautiful marriage and we come up against something to do with our estate planning, our future, our money, and we don't talk about it, what we're doing is we're taking it and we're putting it in our ice chest. And we're saying, I'll get to that later. I'm just going to put it on ice. Well, what happens is when you bring it up, you were going, you open up this ice chest that they haven't looked at and it smells nasty. It's like, oh my God, we're not going there. put the lid back on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody like me, working with somebody who understands this, it's like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's find out what's in here. Might want to put some stuff over your nose for the first part, but we're not going to tackle the entire ice chest, nor are we going to eat what's in here. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. going to look at when did this get put in? What was it when it was first in there and what has it evolved into? Because it gets really sticky, right? Like when you put something in and you don't deal with it, it, it gets moldy, gets sticky, other things start going. So you need to find out what assessments have been made about this whole topic. So we're all about the context as opposed to the content. We need to talk about the content, but we need to talk about what kept us from having the conversation and how do we build the skill to have the conversation before we actually talk about the content.
0: Okay, that, that's great. And that's a perfect segue into the last thing I'd like to talk to you about, which is the context of talking about money. So we've I have parents who are leaving assets to children, adult children, and would like those children to uh, keep those inheritances separate and haven't had that conversation with their kids, right? So could you give any advice to those parents as to how they could address that?
1: Yes. And it's really interesting because I was thinking about a man I met on a plane and you know, he said, okay, prefectory question, what do you do? And I told him and he said, oh, wait, do you do prenups? And I said, well, um, I, I help people and families have conversations so that the in-law isn't treated like an outlaw, you know, and he like <laughs> looked at me and he said, well, we have an issue because I've told my daughter she's never getting a dime and she needs to be completely self-sufficient and she's actually getting over a hundred million dollars. And it's in a trust in her name and she's getting married and we're going to need to disclose it because she needs to have a prenup. And I said, you have a much bigger issue than the prenup (laughs) because she is not even remotely prepared for what you have set her up to have to deal with. And it's akin to a meteoric event in her life. And, you know, how do you prepare somebody for that? Well, we like to look at it as a whitewater rafting trip. And what he's just said is she's got a major like class six rapid up ahead. And she's never even picked up a paddle before. And, you know, basically, we got to get your family up to speed in terms of communication that's clear, that's honest, that's authentic around what is at stake here and what they need to do and have to be prepared for it. And, of course, that's an extreme hundreds of millions, but it doesn't matter. That's the thing I really want to get across here it's not about the numbers. It's about how do we talk about these things related to money because it is the most pervasive aspect of our lives and it's the least understood or talked about. And parents need to know that it's the safest, most important thing they can do to have conversations with their children in a way that can empower their kids for their roles as beneficiaries, as You know co-owners of different assets uh whatever it is that they want and also the roles they might be in in terms of executor or trustee so that they're really well equipped for what's going to be happening and then and then the prenup makes total sense because they're grounded in the knowledge and understanding of what the the family culture is and the family's values and the family's communication and understanding about what it is that they have what does this family wealth mean is it meant for you know multiple generations and then you can have a whole other conversation where the in-law is then treated as a part of the family system because they're going to be the parents of the children that are going to eventually get this, This, um, you know, if it's passed on intergenerationally. It's just there's different structures in place because of uh, whose bloodline you're in.
0: Right. No, that's really helpful. And I, I hope that any parents listening today to this will... Uh, be motivated to sit down with their kids and, and talk about the truth, right? Which is that ultimately, we're all going to pass away. And that what I leave you, it's important to me, or maybe it isn't important to me that you keep it separate. But never having that conversation and leaving your kids in doubt, I think, does them a real disservice. Would you agree?
1: Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. And um, I, there's a really great book um, by Um, Dr. Tom Deans, it's called Mm -hmm. Willing Wisdom. Mm -hmm. And he really recommends, you know, sitting down with your kids at at each of their birthdays and just giving them kind of the state of the union address in terms of what's going on with the family wealth. Like, because there's a sense of, I don't want them to become waiters and wait for their inheritance. Well, keeps them a bit evolved and, and, and abreast of what the situation is and what the highs and lows are and what the thinking is around the investment strategies and getting their input. And what they want, and then what does this mean for them for the next year in terms of how they want to plan their lives, their work, their savings, their investing? So it becomes part of a whole equation. Because if people are left with a huge part of, like a huge variable in their equation, as a total unknown, it makes it very difficult for them.
0: Well, that's great, and I, I think we stopped there. But I really want to thank you for coming in on this spirit of books. Uh, I want to post links to both of your books, on the website for this podcast, because I forgot at the beginning to tell our listeners that you're the author of Estate Planning for the Blended Family and the Beginner's Guide to Purposeful Prenups. And I want to put links up there uh, on the website as well.
1: Oh, thank you, Liza. And the thing I'll say about the Estate Planning for the Blended Family is it's totally written for a a layperson, an individual that is um, wanting to work really successfully with you. And they have the complex dynamics of the yours mine and ours like scenarios in their families in different ways and it really helps break down the jargon that you encounter in estate planning so that it's easy to understand and it makes it so that your time with your attorney is much more efficient and much um, more enjoyable because you're like you're empowered with it you know like you said
0: great well I'm all for efficient empowered clients and I'm sure <laughs> you are too and I want to thank you for this conversation and I'm going to Say goodbye. Thanks Liza. Take care. You've been listening to my discussion with Emily Bouchard, a family dynamics and money coach at Wealth Legacy Group and the co-author of The Beginner's Guide to Purposeful Prenups available on amazon.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life, Death, Law. To find out more about this episode or to send me a question or suggested topic for future podcasts, go to lifedeathlaw.com. Send an email to lifedeathlawpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail message on the Life Death Law podcast line, 669-232-0872. That's 669-232-0872. To subscribe to Life Death Law, go to SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So take care and remember... When it comes to life and death and law, we are all in the same boat. Until next time, I'm Liza Hanks. Bye.